At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Uh, it, it is great to be with you, family. It is so awesome uh, every time I get a chance to come and worship with uh, our family here in Detroit. And it is always awesome when I have my beautiful bride with me. And I just want to acknowledge my wonderful wife. Um, she has already heard the message, given her critique, and so I've tried to incorporate her edits into it. You know, we, we joke when uh, I first started pastoring and preaching, uh, my wife was sitting in the front row, but she's one of those people that can't hide her feelings and emotions. It shows up on her face. She's just like physically unable to be fake. And so um, she would sit in the front row at times and she would frown when I would make different points of my sermon. And so we came to an agreement that she would sit a little bit further back. And so that way, if I bomb on something, I can just look straight ahead at you and you'll be polite. So I appreciate that. But no, it is great for us to be with you. We, we love you guys. And uh, this has been quite the year, quite the season. I do want to say uh, my thanks to that of uh, Patrick when he shared about just the amazing testimony of God's grace through this campus. You know, last year was, and I don't need to tell you guys, was probably the most challenging year uh, that this campus is, has faced, but yet through it all, God continued to allow people to be baptized, disciple, growing groups. Uh, how many praise God for that? How many praise God? People coming to faith, people growing in grace, the gospel continuing to spread, um, marriages continuing to grow, people getting engaged all over the place, and Baby's coming, and you know, and praise God. If you're married, that's one of the pathways to church growth. Just keep having kids, keep having kids so the church can grow. Just joking. But uh, me and my wife have given our contribution. We got our starting five. We are done. Us and the Watermans. You don't have to say anything else to us. But, um, it is great to uh, see how God's grace is flourishing here. And, and it's just a reminder that the strength of the church is not found in any one leader. You know, uh, the fact of the matter is we as pastors and leaders play our part. Uh, sometimes we can have kind of this overinflated sense of ourselves. But the testimony of the church has always been Christ by the power of the Spirit at work in his people. And how many praise God that the Spirit of God is at work among his people, amen? Thank you for your generosity and giving to the Lord as well because uh, it fuels the engine of the church and uh, we're, we're in spiritual warfare. That's one of the major narratives of the New Testament is that there's the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. And in any war, the army that is most well-funded often wins. And so your giving makes a difference. And uh, when we think about the culture, what's happening to our young people, we think about the rise of depression and anxiety. We think about the lies of the enemy and brokenness and vision that's in their culture. How many believe that the gospel is the power of God to bring life and transformation and healing and salvation and reconciliation and all of the things 
that our culture is, is longing for is in Jesus. It is all in Christ. And so uh, let's continue to just uh, spread that gospel and continue to live as lights for him. Also, we are praying uh, for campus leadership. I just want to say this, though. I am so encouraged by the leadership that God has placed on this campus. How many praise God for Sean White? Appreciate you, brother. Awesome. It is so good to have you uh, as part of our, our eldership now. So technically, I work for you, brother, so please be nice. Uh, but um, yeah, but it, it is great to have Sean on our elders. Uh, I so appreciate Kevin and Patrick and Pastor Rick. Thanks for uh, just serving and being faithful. Uh, Ryan, such a great teacher, brother. You've been blessing me. I've been watching your messages, encouraging my soul. And uh, I guess we give uh, Andy Porter a year off every decade. So this is your year. Enjoy, brother, and we will see you next year. <laughs> Promise you. Promise you that. Uh, Meg, Megan is always just incredible, and thank you for your service to the Lord. And I want to stop there because I feel like I'm at the Grammys thanking my producer and all that, but I just, I just want to say how much I appreciate you guys. Hey, as, um, as we pray for leadership, um, we are in a season where we're going to present before you uh, a few people that uh, we believe that God may be moving in their lives to serve at this campus, and we're wanting to get your feedback, which is a key part of that process uh, over the next season. And so next week, a good brother who many of you know, maybe not all of you, are going to, is going to be preaching here. He's visiting with us today. Victor Numania, can you just stand up for just a moment? He has his beautiful girl. Isla in his hands, Chloe is with him. Victor is such a blessing. I've, I've just loved getting to know this brother and I just love his passion for the Lord, uh, his, um, his prayer life, his sensitivity to the spirit. And uh, he's gonna be bringing the word next week and we'd love for you guys to come and Pastor Rick and others will be here just to hear your heart as well. But I, I just believe that God answers prayer. How many believe that? I mean, believe that, that God answers prayer. And uh, I just encourage you to keep praying. Keep praying for us uh, and, and the eldership. Keep praying for the church family. But stay on your pulse. Uh, this is a, a time where um, we have one superhero. His name is Jesus. And uh, the rest of us have been empowered by his spirit to be faithful servants of the Lord and Christ with you, Christ among us, Christ at work in us is what allows us to bear much fruit, and that fruit will remain if we are faithful to the Lord. And I know life presents tremendous challenges. That's why we've been journeying through this book of Lamentations, because it really does help us to be able to understand how to have both hope and uh, honest uh, uh, lament in the midst of a broken world. And so we're going to talk about uh, that today. Amen. So let's go to the book of Lamentations. I want us to go there today. We're going to talk about how do we praise in the midst of pain? There is no asterisk put by the command that we would pray without ceasing. There is no uh, season in which we are not required to seek the Lord's face. There is no season or time in which God gives us permission to pause our praise to him. 
there is no uh, uh, time in Scripture in which the Bible relieves us of the responsibility to put our hope and our trust in Him. But the real question is, how do we do it in the face of a fallen world, in the face of brokenness? And again, I want to say thanks to uh, the other brothers who have been helping us to journey through Lamentations. Maybe you've never taken a deep dive into this book. It's been said that Lamentations might just be the hardest book in the Bible to find. Now, it's not that the book moves. It, it always is in the same place in your Bible between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It's always sandwiched right there. But the fact of the matter is, is very few of us are trying to find it. And that's what makes it hard to find because very few of us want to go into a book called Lamentations and just kind of camp out there. But the fact of the matter is, is that Lamentations has been given to us by God under the inspiration of the Spirit through the prophet Jeremiah for, for three reasons. I think three very powerful reasons. You may want to jot some of these things down. Number one, it is for us to uh, know how to, to teach us how to express our pain to God. How do we express our pain to God? One who is holy, uh, Sean was writing, talking about the holiness of God, uh, but yet we, we want to make sure we're coming to him honestly. And what I love about Jeremiah's writing in the book of Lamentations is he shows us how to express our pain to a holy God by using poetic honesty, what I call poetic honesty. Maybe you uh, have uh, heard this, and uh, let me just remind you that if we were reading this in the original Hebrew, we would read it as a poem, a beautiful acrostic poem. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and, uh, and each one of these chapters, except the one I will look at today, has 22 verses. The symmetry is beautiful. Today's chapter is a little bit unique, though, because we're right in the middle, and there's something about being in the middle of this book that I think is going to unfold the story, connecting the beginning to the end, but I'll get there in a moment. The second reason why I believe that God gives us uh, the book of Lamentations is to reveal to us the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin. Now, um, every season of brokenness that we go through is because of sin. Either our own sins, which is the truth in the case of Israel, make no mistake about it, if you read this book and you miss the fact that Israel is experiencing God's wrath, they're experiencing God's judgment primarily because of their unwillingness to repent over their sins, and you've missed a point of it. This isn't just like general pain. This isn't just a bad season just in general. This is because they consistently rebel against God. Now, the scripture is true that God is patient. He is slow to anger. He is quick to forgive. But eventually, because he is just, he has to judge sin. There is no way for us to be able to describe any judge as just that lets criminals get off. If there was a judge that was running to be elected to the bench and the track record was that he consistently overlooked the evidence of criminals or in light of the evidence allowed them to go off, none of us would call that judge good, would we? No, especially if the crimes have been committed against us. 
So God, for uh, long seasons and periods in Israel's history, said to them, stop mistreating the weak. Stop abusing the marginalized. Stop setting two different justice systems for the poor and for the rich. Stop uh, worshiping other gods. Stop rebelling against me. Stop pursuing your evil ways. Stop prioritizing riches and wealth over justice and kindness and mercy. And Israel continued to ignore those things. They continued to mistreat the marginalized, continued to abuse the weak. They continued to strip men and women of their dignity and per, uh, pervert or prevent justice. So eventually, the God of heaven, the God who is just, judges. But it's not, at, not until after giving them warning, after warning to the prophets to repent. And how does God judge nations? Well, according to Jeremiah 18, verses 7 and 8, God uses other nations to judge nations. The way that God judges other nations, and he tells Israel this again and again, that if you rebel against me, I will allow your enemies, the other nations, the pagan nations, to come in and to devastate you. And what we find as we read through uh, Lamentations is that sin is deadly, it is dangerous, and it is devastating. It is devastating to nations, it is devastating to families, it will rip families apart, and yes, it is even devastating to individuals. And so part of what happens when you read through the Bible is that it provokes for, within you, if you're reading it correctly, the question, how now shall I live? The Bible study isn't over just because you have a notebook full of notes. The Bible study is only over when there is application. And what is the application of the book of Lamentations? The application of the book of Lamentations is self-reflection on my own sin. Yeah. Now I said that all of our brokenness is because of sin, primarily because of our own, but not always, because we do have Jesus. And obviously Jesus' pain on that cross and even through his life, the suffering that he endured, Isaiah says he was a man who was acquainted with sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He, he took upon himself the chastisement that we were due. Well, obviously it wasn't because of his sins, it was because of ours. Sometimes the pain and suffering we experience is because of the sins that uh, are part of living in a fallen world. But whether our sins or the sins of the world that we live in, what we have to continue to contend with is, Lord, where is their sin and where must I stand against it? And may our most passionate resistance against sin be first in us. We live in a generation where there is outrage. As a matter of fact, this generation has been called the age of outrage, the justice generation. We love calling out the sins of everyone else. The sins of the government, the sins of corporations, the sins of celebrities, the sins of the other. But you know you're in trouble when you're more passionate about others' sins than you are about your own. The prophet wants the people to read this lament and to reflect on their own lives and to say, where is my sin, Lord, and help me to repent? How many agree that there is too much evil in the world? How many would love to see the evil in the world reduced? 
Well, if you want to reduce the evil in the world, start with reducing the evil in you. Start by repenting of your own biases and sins and pray, God, open my eyes. So Jeremiah writes it first to teach us how to express our pain to a holy God. Second, to reveal to us the seriousness of sin. But thirdly, to remind us of the faithfulness of God. That even in judgment, he loves us. My mom used to have this saying, and it took me a while to understand it, but when she would punish me, she used to look me in the eye and say, baby, this is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you. And when I was younger, I said, now that's a lie. <laughs> Mama, this don't feel like it hurt you more than it hurt me. But, but as I've gotten older, what I realized is that what she was trying to express to me is that I'm only punishing you, disciplining you because I love you, and I don't want something worse to happen to you, and while I want our relationship to be nothing but joy and happiness, there are moments when I have to allow sadness to broach into our relationship so that I can protect you from a worse judgment. But even when she was punishing me, she was loving me. And God, even when he allows the consequences of our sins to peek through into our lives, even when he allows the enemy's plans that he's been trying to shield us from to, to come into our lives, but for a moment, it's not to destroy us, but it's simply to protect us to purge us, to prune us, to bring us closer to him, to shape us more for his purposes and his glory. And yes, he knows like an expert cook how to put in a dash of pain in order to produce the perfect outcome. You know, there are times my, my grandmother, we used to call her Big Mama, my grandmother uh, knew how to cook. And you know you got a really good cook when they don't have to have ingredients that match to make something good. Grandma would come into the kitchen and there'd be all these random ingredients, you know, uh, macaroni, no cheese, peanut butter, no jelly, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and she'd say, y'all just go sit out there and let me do my thing and I'll come, come back in an hour and next thing you know, it would be a meal that was like par excellence. And it, you don't ask no questions, you just eat and thank Jesus, right? God is an expert chef. He knows how to put in the proper measure of joy. He knows how to give us the proper amount of persecution. He knows how to give us encouragement when our souls need it. But he also knows how to discipline the children that he loves. We are not bastards, we are not fatherless. We are children who have a father who loves us deeply. So the first two chapters of Lamentation is the prophet expressing the pain of his nation. It is as if he is writing in the aftermath of their D-Day, their 9-11. He is looking and reflecting on the most devastating attack that they have ever seen from the enemy. Not only did the Lord allow the Babylonians, this pagan nation, to come in and ransack the nation, but the, the, the jewel of the nation Jerusalem was devastated. And even more than that, God even allowed his temple to be devastated and his altars to be desecrated. 
Now, why would God allow that? Well, you've heard the saying before, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. They weren't honoring the Sabbath already. They weren't honoring the temple already. And let me just use this as an opportunity to urge those of you who through this pandemic have seen bad habits set in concerning corporate worship to come back to corporate worship. Because God looks at how we honor him in worship. And I know this has been a tough season and praise God that numbers are going the right way and that people are surviving through all of this devastation and it's been a painful time. But I know this, that we need to gather in the presence of the Lord. How many know we need Jesus now more than ever through all of this? And and I don't want God. I don't want God to look at us and say that we neglected the blessing of the gathering. How many agree with me? It is a blessing to come together and gather. Well, Israel, Israel forgot all of that. They forgot all of that and they experienced God's judgment. And so the first two chapters, I won't recap all of it, but it is just him sitting literally on his front porch looking and saying how devastated is the city. You know, it's interesting because uh, I was born in Detroit, and um, one, of, one of the hardest things when you were born in Detroit, raised in Detroit, move out of Detroit, maybe come back to Detroit, one of the most devastating things is to see neighborhoods that once were flourishing no longer flourishing. It's a heartbreaking thing. I'll never forget going to dinner with a couple, my wife and I were going to dinner with a couple who lived in their child, uh, the husband lived in his childhood neighborhood, brought a home there, married his wife, and they told us the story of how uh, the block went from being fully employed to, to, to family after family losing their job to the point where they were the last family on the block working. It's a devastating thing when you see your city uh, going through that type of, uh, of, of, of brokenness. And it's a beautiful thing when you see revival come. And this is what's on the other side of this lament. You see the brokenness, but on the other side of the lament, God restores. And how many are praying for that for our city? How many are praying for that for this city? How many are praying that God will once again move by his spirit through the city of Detroit? I love this city, and I pray you do as well, and I'm praying for a mighty move of the Spirit to come through this place and for young people to come to Jesus and for revival to touch high schools and neighborhoods. How many are believing God with me for that? Colleges and people of high esteem and people of low esteem. I can relate to Jeremiah, I can relate to Nehemiah, because these are individuals who carried cities in their hearts. They carry cities in their hearts. This is what the Bible is about. The Bible is not just about God placing his people in cities, it's about placing cities in the hearts of his people. He he placed Adam in Eden. He placed Abraham in uh, Jerusalem, David in Bethlehem. Paul said, I must get to Rome. Chris Brooks has Detroit in his heart. I don't know what's in your heart, but I pray that we would find our city and that we would pray like Jeremiah prayed for his city. 
And so then we get to chapter three, and by the time we get to chapter three, something shifts. He's no longer just lamenting over the brokenness of a city. He now is expressing his own personal part in, in, in God's judgment. This, this becomes very personal. Let's look at the first uh, 18 verses, and what we're going to learn through this is that lament ultimately allows us to hope. Ultimately, lament allows us to hope. And there's, there's two verses that I think stand out. And I just want to highlight these two, and then we'll read the, 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 uh, uh, the first 18 verses. But verse 18, we see hope lost. We see the loss of hope. In verse 18, he says, I, So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Have you ever been at a point where your hope was gone? Have you ever been at a point where you were emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, at the end of your rope, you were, you were done? Um, I remember being at that place. I remember being at that place. There's, there's been times and seasons when I've been at that place where I've said, God, it just seems like there is no hope. Um, some of you know uh, that in 2000, uh, 19, my wife and I and my children experienced the death of my son, my oldest son, and uh, the, the pain of that experience was, was uh, pretty indescribable. And all while that was happening, uh, we were in a season where we were experiencing uh, this kind of deep betrayal from someone that we had trusted pretty intimately, and, um, and, and we went through probably the greatest season of betrayal that we had ever gone through. All while that was happening, uh, our world was being kind of disrupted and God was shifting relationships. And so we found ourselves, uh, though, because we're public people around a lot of people, but not feeling intimately connected to a lot of people. Have you ever been in a room full of people and still felt lonely? Anybody ever been there before? Um, loneliness is not a matter of uh, proximity to people. It's a matter of proximity and heart. And that was something that we were experiencing at that time. So through loneliness, through betrayal, through loss, um, I found myself at the end of my rope. I found myself much like um, this particular prophet saying, Lord, I'm exhausted. My endurance has perished. So how's my hope from the Lord? Look at verse 21 real quickly. Verse 21 Story changes, he says this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He goes from hopeless to being filled with hope in three verses. What happened in those three verses? That's what we're going to talk about for just a few moments. I think that in order to go from hopelessness to hope, you got to do two things. The first thing you got to do is, is just simply acknowledge your affliction. You got to be honest with God. If, if Lamentations teaches us anything, it is honesty with God. I think far too often we are taught to be fake. We are taught that when we're going through and somebody asks us, how you doing? What do you respond? Oh, I'm good. It's all well. Or if we're going through pain, we try to diminish it. Part of what I've had to learn even through grief counseling is being honest with my pain, honest with myself, honest with others, and important, most importantly, honest with God. Look at his, his honesty, verse number one. 
I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken, he, he has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all people, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Then verse 18, so I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Notice how he identifies himself. He starts with identifying himself as, verse number one, I am the man who has seen affliction. I'm a man who has experienced the wrath of God. I am a man who is going through. He didn't fake it. When people asked him how he was doing, he didn't say, I'm all good. He didn't say, you know, everything's swell. He said, no, I am a man who is going through affliction in this season. I'm experiencing the judgment of God. Now, we don't know how much he's experiencing the judgment of God because of his own personal sin or because of the sin of association with his people. He's personifying all of what Israel is going through as a nation, plus his own pain is mixed in. But we do know that somewhere in the midst of this, there is sin. He's communicated that throughout. And notice the way he describes God. Again, this is poetry. This is poetic honesty. He gives us three pictures of God. The first picture of God that he gives us is as an angry shepherd. As an angry, harsh shepherd who is literally beating his sheep. It's hard to read, but it's true. Look at verse number four. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has beseeched and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Again, these are words that are often hard to associate with God because we have often only been taught about some of his characteristics and attributes, but not others. 
Now, again, I do want to make sure that I bring balance to this. Lamentations is but one book of the whole Old Testament. The majority of the Old Testament is marked by his grace, his blessing, the outpouring of his goodness. But yet we must remember again that he does ultimately judge sin. That is what makes God just. And so he finds himself in this season where the judgment has come and he says, I feel like you as my shepherd are punishing me and the days don't seem light, they seem dark. Now, for some of you, this is where you're living right now. For some of you, this describes where you're at right now. Like, I I can't see hope. And it's a dangerous thing when you get to the place where you can't see hope. And that's why this message is so important because he had gotten to this place. What I appreciate though, before I give any remedy, is the acknowledgement and the diagnosis of the condition. That this is a reality. You are not alone or you are not abnormal if you find yourself in a broken world in seasons of hopelessness where you say, I know that everyone is using their words to try to encourage my heart, but inside of me, I cannot see hope right now. It seems like everything around me is nothing but pain. This is where he finds himself. And this is what I love about the Bible is that it is real. It is authentic. It is not just fan letters. If it was, it wouldn't be written this way. Imagine if you were just writing a book, a religious book from your own motivation instead of being inspired by the Holy Spirit, how would you write it? Certainly not about your sin, certainly not about your judgment. Trust me, folks, in my dreams, I'm always the hero. I'm always the guy who comes out on top. But this is what shows us that this book has the earmarks of divinity. It is, it is God using human authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pin what is true and what is real and what is honest and what is true is that every day is not ice creams and rainbows. Some days you feel like God is against you. Then he describes God like a jailer who has trapped him. Verse 7 He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. This is his way of saying, nothing I'm doing is working. Everything I try to do seems to fail. I put my best effort and energy into projects and programs and relationships and everything that I try to do seems to not work out. Anybody ever been in that season before? That season where it seems like nothing you're doing is working and you're applying your best wisdom, your best understanding, and it's still not working out. And again, some of you are here right now and others of you, if you're not here right now, let me just tell you, let me just tell you something about life, is that there's three seasons of life. First season is you're coming out of a storm. Second season is you're in a storm. Third season is you're going into a storm. And this is how life is. But yet God is faithful. And this is why, this is why what we sang in worship is so important. Whether in the valley or in the highlands, 
he is no less good. How many have come to realize that, that he is no less good, no less faithful? So for some of you, this is a present text, that this is a present reality. For others of you, and this, this happens sometimes when we're studying scripture, this is a moment for you to take this and tuck it in your back pocket because it will be needed for later. Thirdly, he describes God as a hunter. He's not just a harsh shepherd or a jailer, but he's a hunter and he's hunting me. Verse 10, he is a bear lying in wait for me. He's a lion hiding. He turns aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. Again, this is him expressing deserved judgment that because of my own sin, I was due this type of judgment. I would just simply say that this is a great place for us to pause and remember two things. To remember one, that sin is serious. And we don't wait to repent over sin until we're caught. That's a bad theology. It's a bad way to live, to wait until you're exposed before you repent. You know where sin is in your life. You know where you've stepped out of line of God's will. You, you know uh, when everybody on the outside is commending you and applauding you, but you know on the inside that I'm not right. And what God does, and he is so good, what God does is gives us opportunities to be humble before he brings us to humiliation. And those are the options, either humility or humiliation. This might be for you a warning passage that allows you to be able to express humility before God and to simply say, Lord, it's me that's in the need of prayer. But he gets to this place where he has to be honest about what he believes about the sovereignty of God. How many believe that God is sovereign? How many believe that? I'm a big believer in the sovereignty of God. How many believe that, that God is sovereign? If you study any work of theology, good theology always starts not with men. Good theology always starts with God, that God is sovereign. And what it means to be sovereign is to be in control. It means you can do what you will, when you will, how you will. How many believe that God is sovereign? Now, some of us have a limited view of God's sovereignty to just declare he is sovereign over the good stuff, that he is sovereign over the good days, that he is sovereign over happiness, he is sovereign over the highlands. But how many, like Jeremiah, can say he is sovereign over the valley as well? That, that when judgment comes, he is sovereign over that. That when cancer comes into my life, he is sovereign over that. That when sickness touches my life, he is sovereign over that. You know, yesterday I was talking to one of our brothers at the church, Troy Campus, a guy who is big and he is strong and he is successful in his particular uh, career field. And then COVID touched his life and it just about took his life away. Uh, he was in the hospital for a month, 
Praise God, he's home now. And we were talking, and he says, Pastor Chris, I believe God sent me through this in order to teach me to have proper priorities. And what I appreciated about the conversation is that the brother was able to acknowledge not just God's sovereignty over the highlands of his life, but God's sovereignty over the valleys. And sometimes God allows uh, this type of suffering or punishment or judgment to come in order to get us to say, where is sin for me to repent? Other times he comes and he allows this to happen so that we can learn lessons that will allow us to better serve him. And so this brother emerges that I talked to yesterday from this season of suffering with new focus. He says, my priorities now is to give 100% of my heart to the Lord and to love my family the way that I should have. He said, I lost sight. I'd skip vacations so that I could advance in my career. I would miss church in order to uh, impress my boss. I was ignoring my wife's uh, concerns about our marriage. I was uh, neglecting some of my time with my children, but God allowed this to reprioritize me. Seasons of suffering have that power. In our good times, God whispers. In our pain, God uses his megaphone, and we hear his voice loudly. And so all of this brings Jeremiah to this place of despair where he has nothing left. But then in verse number 19, things begin to change. Look at what he says in verse number 19. He goes from acknowledging his affliction to remembering his God. Never forget your God. He says, remember my affliction and my, and my uh, warning, wanderings, uh, the wormwood and the gall. Verse number 20, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What does he call to mind? Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Can you say that with me? Great is your faithfulness. Say it again. Great is your faithfulness. And then he goes on in verse 24 to say, the Lord is my portion says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Time doesn't permit me to tell you the beauties of this passage, but I want to just give you a couple of highlights. What I love is that joy came not when situations changed, but when he changed. When his perspective changed. Notice it did not change on the outside. Jerusalem had not yet been restored. His flesh had not yet been healed. The sufferings were still present, but he changed on the inside by remembering the, the steadfastness and faithfulness of the Lord. He reminded himself of God's characteristics when the situation didn't seem good. Today, you don't have to wait for your situation to change before hope comes. The origin of hope is remembering who God is. In his mind, he remembered. But what did he remember? What did he remember? He remembered what he had already studied in the Word. This is a man of the Word. He, he quotes here, not, not from some uh, East Jerusalem poetry, he doesn't just uh, quote here from some secular source. 
No, this is directly from Exodus 34. Turn with me real quickly, Exodus 34 and 6, and these words may sound familiar. One of the most important passages in all of uh, religious history, he says this in Exodus 34 and 6, the Lord passed before him. This is the Lord with Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The prophet had been studying his Bible. And it was in the midst of his encounter with the, uh, with the word that his heart became happy. It was in the midst of his encounters with the word that he was reminded of who God is, even in the midst of his suffering. Don't be like Adam. Don't run from God in your pain, but run to God in your pain, and you will be reminded, like Jeremiah was reminded, that God is faithful. Again, say it with me. Great is your faithfulness. Come on, say it. Great is your faithfulness. He was reminded that his portion, his inheritance is the Lord. Sometimes God strips everything away so that we can be reminded that he is all that we need. I didn't know that Jesus was all that I needed until he was all that I had. And sometimes God strips things away because we inadvertently have deified things that he never called to be Lord. We are in a dangerous place when we make the blessing in this, or we place the blessing in the same position as the blessor. God blesses us with various things, but the blessor is the one that we worship. And so today he reminds us that he is faithful, that he is good, that he is loving, and that he is God. And as we look at this, we are reminded that because he is our portion, therefore I will hope in him. Now the fact that he is Jeremiah's portion was a, a, a statement of faith as he looked forward. For us, it is a statement of reflection knowing that Jesus has already gone to that cross, that he suffered. He suffered because of our sins and he took upon him our punishment so that we might be able to have access to the Father. And today, as we close, I invite you to stand with me. And I want you to simply do this, to search your own heart and to ask God where there needs to be repentance. If you have never surrendered your heart to him today, I want to encourage you to surrender your heart to him. Whether watching this online or uh, here in person, that you would surrender to him. That great song, I surrender all, all to you, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. How many know that he is faithful? Today we're going to close and worship, I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing about the faithfulness of God. And if you find yourself in the valley of affliction, let me just remind you that hope is not dead. Hope is alive, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that sons and daughters would come home again, that we would not allow the sin of bitterness, and the sin of unforgiveness, 
plague our hearts, that we would purge ourselves of those things. Maybe we have been covenant breakers, liars. You are right in judging us. But I pray the Lord that in the midst of your judgment that we would come running to you. Have mercy upon us, God. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty, matchless, and magnificent name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.